Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing fantastic. That's a little bit of a fantastic. That's a little bit of French there for you. Well, I, I learned. I don't think it's I pronounced learned, that way. I learned. Oh, sorry. I have to say a little bit of fantastic. No, you have to say French. Ah. You, have, you have to say French and French. French. <laughs> he did it. I did it. I did it. Did okay. Francius. A little piece of business that's become an amusement in my household is, uh, you know, you're aware of the TV series Stranger Things. I guess I'm in it. You are in it. Could you point to which moment you're in it? <laughs> he physically pointed, <laughs> and he pointed to the audio options Polish. For the <laughs> Polish lector that they have there now for Stranger Things. No, uh, a little piece of business that's happening in my house recently with my wife and I is I keep mispronouncing Stranger Things, mm-hmm. the series, in different ways. And it, and it just amuses Rachel. In, in, in just I keep doing it. It's, it's evolved into just being noises at this point. So at first I'd be like, you know, Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, no, no. That was the joke I was about to make. No, no. And then, and then it became like... You know, then it became like stronger things, and it just keeps going. And now it's devolved into the big belly laugh I had the other day with Rachel was uh, I called it stronger thunger because it's just <laughs> gone off the rails. And I said it in a goofy voice. I'm like, "Hey, Rachel, you know that series on Netflix that's really keeping that platform afloat? Stronger thunger." <laughs> and it just keeps going. Now I'm doing accents with it. Like I'm doing the mispronunciations. With accents, so it's it's did really she, happening. Did I just hear Rachel? Rachel's laughing already. <laughs> She's in the other room having a giggle at me being like, Have you done stranger, stranger, stranger things? Yeah, 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 I've done that kind of stuff. I've whispered it as well when I've mispronounced it. It will be like, Yeah, Rachel, I'm really enjoying stinky thingy. <laughs> and so that's why you we are spit and polish likely because we're always spitting and we're mispronouncing things because we're Polish. Next time, English is hard. Next time, say it without vowels. Other than the word penguin, what is a really difficult word in the English language for you, or one that was very difficult to learn once you were grappling with the English language from being a Polish speaker in your youth? Do you remember there was if there was one specific, any specific ones that leap out? Um, not really. I mean, you know my my uh, experience with the word debt. Um, <laughs> Do you want to expand on that? Do you yeah, want to pay yeah. that? So uh, Ryan and I, a couple of years ago, with a bunch of other people, went to a, a theatre that a friend of ours owned at the time, um, because Ryan was doing like a play for them, a uh, really short play. And then at the very end, they had like a audience participation, like writing monologues and like, oh, someone pick a monologue and then read it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll, well, I, I'll read one out. And first of all, I was unlucky because the person that wrote mine didn't write a monologue. They wrote like a dialogue between two characters. So awesome. I had to work with that. I think I still have it somewhere. Um, and up until this point in my life, I never really noticed that the B in debt was silent. So and, and that word came up a few times in the the script. So I kept saying debt, <laughs> and Ryan was like telling me like, "Oh, there was a person that I was sitting next to who, who was, probably like, wrote it, maybe who was like fuming every time you said it." And they were like correcting you like under their breath. I'm like, 
Oh, well, that's... It, it's dead. Well, that's the way they pronounce it, I guess. Like, oh, wow, okay. They were cowards. They should have heckled you. They should have said, it's pronounced dead. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, well, I would have retorted, well, this isn't even a monologue, so whatever. <laughs> I remember I was pissing myself laughing reading. I could... I'm was, surprised it, they would have noticed how I was pronouncing it. It's a difficult one. So we are here to talk about films, actually, on this podcast. Uh, did we make a film? Are we here to talk about films we made, or are we here to talk about other people's movies? Is that the... What is it, Bartek? What do we do here on Spin Posh Presents? I don't think we've ever done any of our films. We haven't talked about any of our homemade movies. Mm. Uh, your Ice Bucket Challenge we'll talk about next week. <laughs> Does that count as a movie? Yes. <laughs> Not just a video? No, no, it's a, it's a movie. Anything's a movie if you have... Yeah, J.J. Abrams said... In his mystery box presentation, TED Talk, that anyone can make a movie and it doesn't matter how long it is. If you have a camera and a dream, it's a movie. So there's no excuse not to make one. And if, hey, we learned that Wakaliwood showed us that anything can be a movie if you have the gumption to make it so. So, yes, your Ice Bucket Challenge video is, in fact, a feature film that I won't watch on my fucking telephone I'm getting real and I'm watching it on a projection on like an IMAX screen. <laughs> and then I will then proceed to watch David Cronenberg movies afterwards. Wasn't Ice Bucket Challenge like nine years ago now? Like Ice Bucket tw- Challenge? Yeah, it was like 2014. Yeah. So, Bartek, talk to us. What is happening on this podcast? This podcast is Spit and Polish Presents Pictures Powwow where every week we have a powwow about a picture, but not like image like JPEGs or PNGs or, God forbid, some other one, uh, <laughs> web MP, web image. Um, we're talking about moving pictures, the movies. <gasps> movies? movies. I love movies. <laughs> and every week... Moonga boongas. Yeah. I, I wanted to mispronounce week, but it has too many vowels. I don't know. Week. Every week we talk about a different movie. Wow. Uh, first week in a three-week cycle, I pick one. Second week, you pick one. That's this one. That's me. And then next week is uh, Listening People's Choice. You. You pick movies if Not you me. suggest them. You, they're listening. You say, unless you're Bartek listening, you suggest movies to us. You hit us up on our social media, Spit and Polish Presents, or our email, spitandpolished at gmail.com. All of this is in the description. We put it into a list, and we eventually get around to it. We have a few. We're, we're coming up a little bit on the smaller side, so help us boost it up, unless you've already suggested one, and then you're crossing your arms going, no. I want them to do mine now. It's been three and a half years. For some uh, people it has been. <laughs> and I picked the film that we are talking about today. It is an uh, animated film. It's uh, a Belgium film, uh, French language, called A Town Called Panic. That is the title of it from 2009. So if you have not seen this, we recommend that you do. We're going to get into it. Now, this isn't the most uh, plot-intensive film. This isn't one where it's necessarily we're going to be spoiling the, the majesty of it, but it is definitely an experience. It's one that... If you want to experience something uh, a little bit different, uh, very much go ahead with this. This is a comedy film. It's short and sweet. It's like 77 minutes long, and that's including the credits in there, so it's a bit shorter than that. It is, if I have to describe the plot, it's it's an absurdist 
comedy in a way where the plot of it is you have our uh, characters that are these uh, little uh, little toys basically these little mm. models that's the type of animation that they're going for where they even have the little plastic mound for their feet so that they can stand uh, you have a cowboy a horse and an Indian live in a house together it is the horse's birthday and uh, cowboy and uh, Indian have forgotten to give him a present they've decided that they're going to build him a barbecue because they don't know what to get him and instead of ordering 50 bricks they order 50 million bricks and hijinks ensues and that's the most important statement when it comes to a town called panic hijinks ensues every page of the script should end with that hijinks ensues it just yeah, keeps you, going and going and going you just said like 50 million but remember in the film there's a lot more zeros than that yes but yes. It, that's part of the absurdity that's part yeah. of the absurdity and ryan so. we we know that this film isn't very plot intensive because i read an excerpt of roger ebert's review wow roger he must have loved it i didn't read the full thing he did actually he, he gave did, it three and a half did, out of four did, did, did. good boy but, roger. Then he, but then he said something unexpected so we'll we'll uh, I didn't read it, so you can inform me. Again, I only read one line from it. History and relationship. Now, I imagine you don't have any familiarity with this at all. I mentioned at the end of the last episode that this has a bit more going to it than just this film's existence. There are shorts that exist. I don't know if you checked out any of those. They're on YouTube. I haven't. No, I've got got nothing. This is all on you, history. (laughs) So, history-wise for me... Uh, growing up, we had an afternoon block of entertainment for children, and in there you would get all of these animated shows, and some of them would be shorts. So in there, you would get animated shorts that would last for anywhere from two minutes to ten minutes long, and they would just fill up the time in between the actual bigger shows that you would watch. So this being Belgium as well, uh, you have Tintin was also something I grew up watching, but those were like longer episodes. But yeah, I was really young when I you, watched it. Oh, I was a big Tintin fan. I fucking love Tintin. That um, was Polish dub for me. Elector? No, 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 dub. No, no, dub. Sin, 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 sin. Bad. You can't do that. I had a bunch of these, and this was one where... I really liked the style because they reminded me of the little toys that I would have and the weird thing of growing up. There were certain things that would just exist in your childhood and wouldn't go further. So like having a little toy of a like a little horse that doesn't even move. It's just like stiff, hard plastic. And same with like a little, little Indian or a cowboy. And it's like those aren't things that I have in my life now. But... Those are the type of random knickknacks that you would pick up as a kid. Somebody would give them to you or you would accidentally take one from the school toy box or whatever the case may be. And I really gravitated towards these shorts. It was like a series of them where you had this little town and you had these absurd characters. And when I watched it, they had an English dub to them. And uh, the voice actors were, in my recollection, and I did watch them again, were very fun. The, the the voices had a real verve to them. The cowboy had this really over-the-top, high-pitched voice. And the the Indian had, like, a guy trying to do a, a Indian voice. Was it like a European dub? 
it was in English, so British. Okay, yeah. Because one of the voice actors I know, um, Armstrong from the comedy duo Armstrong and Miller, he played the horse, and he has this very dignified voice. And y- you would probably have seen him in, in something over the years, and uh, he's the great, great comedian. But uh, And he was the voice of the horse, and you'd have all these other little British and or European folk. And then eventually they made a film, and I remember hearing about the film, but 2009, I'm still in my rinky-dink home country town, and the film only exists in the French language, and I don't recollect if it ever came over here, and if it did, it wasn't in my area growing up, so it it got lost in the sands of time for me, where I forgot about it. You eventually move on. I know that for both of us, you just mentioned, like Tintin, you remember growing up with that very little. There are those shows that meant a lot to you, all those properties that meant a lot to you growing uh, growing up, but once you have grown up, up, you forget about them until somebody brings it up to you and you go, oh, wow, it's all coming flooding Mm. back. And that's what this is to me. I was looking at animated films uh, because I I really wanted to do some more animated films in just my general watching outside of this podcast and for this podcast. And this came up and uh, I saw those three characters, the horse, the Indian, and the cowboy, and I went, oh, yes, I, I, I want to see what the film is like. I, and uh, here we are today looking over it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of a lotness. There's, there's so much to dig into here. So I'm curious to hear what your experience <laughs> was with this. So this might be a little bit unexpected, but I really like the film and it was kind of my cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) No, this, this was a really funny film. It was, like you said, it was very absurd. Um, and your, your description of it as being like, you know, capturing, you know, the, I guess you could consider them like background toys that you would have had. Like, I know there was that one quote from a reviewer saying this is like, Toy Story on drugs or something. I can't remember hmm. the exact yeah. phrase. It's one of the big, you know, reviews of it. Um, and like allegory to that, like these aren't the end. These aren't like the Woody and Buzz level toys. These are like the ones in the background that you might see throughout the film. Um, and yeah, that really does kind of capture it. It, it kind of, it's obviously a very different style, but it also kind of reminds you a little bit of Robot Chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, I can definitely see that. It has that stop motion kind yeah. of jankiness stop to it. Stop motion jankiness, but this one, like, even more so, which kind of gives it a much more, well, much more unique, like that's a level thing, but it, it's, it's a very distinct identity compared to that. There's a video game that actually reminds me of this, and I, I feel very bad because I've forgotten it, but uh, I remember uh, Video Game Donkey did a video with this game in it. Uh, It was one of those ones where you did like a bunch of games where you play different things in the real world. So it's like you're playing as a a blade of grass or you're playing as a fence or you're playing as a, as a, a pig. And there's like a British guy or a narrator over. It's one of those games where it's like, there's a guy narrating over. It's about life. Basically Mm -hmm. you're playing as different strands of life and how everything moved. Like if you were animal, it would move in similar ways to this where there was that kind of roly-poly jankiness where you would either be toppling from side to side or you would just be flipping as you were going mm. everywhere. And I, I was just brought back to how that... I don't know what the name of that style of movement is, but when you see it in a town called Panic, it feels 
both unique to this and yet timeless in itself. Yeah. I mean, there are like walking animations for some characters in this, but a lot of it is kind of like South Park, like waddly moving. And or especially for the animals, they they just flip forward and keep going like you've just <laughs> rolled them down a hill and they're just yeah. like a slinky, just boing, 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 boing. <laughs> and I don't know what the name for that type of movement is, but YSA is also timeless because this being a tactile animated movie, this isn't a hand-drawn thing, this isn't a 3D animation in the way of like your Pixar it's tactile because you get the sense, like with a Wallace and Gromit, say, where that's claymation, and everyone talks about with the claymation, you can see the fingerprints of the animators on it, and so it feels even more real. Mm. Why this feels real is it really has that bo- that movement, but it's also heightened of you grabbing these toys and playing with them and making them move and making them run all over yeah, the place. Point, yeah. Whilst also still have, having that absurdity where there's also moments where it's extremely fluid out of nowhere, like with horses' dream sequences where now both horses can slide and ski and really move with this absolute like precision, while in the other scenes the horse is the most janky moving one of them all. <laughs> uh, so you say this is your cup of tea. I, I, I wasn't too sure. I was looking at this going, is this going to be something where Bartek's either going to be on board for this or not? Because I can see why people would be prickly towards this. If you're not on the wavelength of this film's comedy, then there's nothing for you. This isn't Mm. got anything more substantive to it other than like the pure strength of its animation and its brand of comedy it's and so if big... you're not on the wavelength you're not going to be in this movie's I mean, wheelhouse it's it's one of the big dangers of comedy in general like if you don't find it funny for subjective reasons like you don't have much else going for you other than i don't know like artistic merits so walk us through your journey watching this um so this was a fairly blind um a fairly blind experience for me. Like the only reason why I would have looked up anything was because I needed to, you know, do the posts for last week's episode. Need to get the mm-hmm. title. Wanted to also throw in the French title, and it, it did show me like the poster. I'm like, oh, okay, this is a bit of an. I remember you said it was like an animated claymation thing mm-hmm. or, or stop, stop motion. Me. Sorry, um, and I think I did see that like the main characters were like cowboy and Indian. So I was like, oh, okay, so it's it's got kind of like a silly premise coming up, like archetypal character names um so it gives you already ideas about you know the the relationships that they would have um and when the film began and like you know we see the cowboy and the indian interacting um you know it was a big reveal for me when like they had the horse character and the horse spoke and then it was like (laughs) oh no this is like a trio and the horse is you know not only their straight man but kind of the main character of the story he's the inciting incident at the very least of it like he's the reason that anything's happening because they need to get him a gift yeah he's the motivation for the plot (laughs) begrudgingly to his his way of life that he's begrudgingly the reason that anything's happening uh what did you think of the animation and just those, those those visuals when you turn it on it does start off with 2d you have these g- gorgeous like cartoony opening oh, credits yeah, it did. and then it eventually fades into 
the postman and he's riding his bike and even his wheels on his bike have the little plastic mounds on the bottom so that it could stand up right because this is clearly evoking those toys and those those little figurines that you get in model kits so what was that like because that's a a huge factor to the film is just those visuals yeah well like you said before it was incredibly charming it was it was funny because you're seeing what they're going for it's like yeah this is a postman he's on his rounds he's riding a bike but it's also a toy um it has the limitations of stop motion going on um but it is powering through all that very genuinely like one of the big laughs that i had throughout the film and it's not even really a joke at all like a lot of the characters are really animated and you know they do a lot of things but then you have the policeman character who is stuck in one pose the entire movie where it's like you know one of his hands is out the other is like up so it's like a sideways L the whole yeah. film and it's just, and yeah he he moves around but he's not really animated any much beyond that he he doesn't have as many like comedic qualities as like the farmer who's always yelling but that was my favorite character oh, Stephen Stephen feels great <laughs> that's a, mainly the dub for that like mainly the voice acting for that one got the humor out of me just you'd even say nice statements with angry yelling and I I enjoy <laughs> that's my type of humor yeah he was great but yeah the policeman just like being in one pose the whole film and just there was like one point where I'm like oh do they do they change it up it's like no no they didn't they didn't you're making sure that they're keeping track like, oh is he like using a magnifying glass here no 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 he's not it's alright the brilliance of a animated feature like this is it's seamless in terms of well when I say animated I should also say comedy where a reviewer can make it boil down to it's this on drugs and it's wacky and crazy, but there has to be a vision and a, a dream and a, and, a, and a focus behind the scenes. So from what I understand, they took ages, like three years, just to storyboard everything out, like to lay it out and plan it out and know the exact shots and the lengths of these to get everything to this rhythm and to this pace and for all the gags to land. But when you're watching something as silly as this, many people overlook how actually nuanced and complicated the process of making a mm. thing like this is. Animation has always had the the classic song that we've heard of uh, being uh, underappreciated in terms of just how difficult it is. But when it's one like this where... It's it's wanting you to think that this is this is like nothing went into this in terms of just how anarchic it is and yeah. its quality. It actually makes me admire the film more. And many many great comedy films like this, whether they're animated or not, you do the behind the scenes. You look up stuff and you go, oh, they they worked really hard to make it look like they aren't working hard at all. It's it's. It's always tricky when you try to make something that is that that evokes like a purposely bad take on it. Like everyone, you know, take a drink for the drinking game of us bringing up our university play. But like when we were pitching our play Soviet Western, which was basically something that was inspired by stories like the making of the room or mm. a lot of those like so bad it's good films. When we were pit we had to pitch our plays at the very beginning of that unit to mm -hmm. like the the department of drama and performance and all that at the university. And we 
came under a fair bit of scrutiny because we had to really emphasize, like, we are evoking, you know, these so bad it's good experiences and this kind of ridiculous thing. It is not an excuse for us to just not try. Like, we actually have a vision here and we have to, mm-hmm. we have to end up proving ourselves beyond that pitch. Um, so yeah, it, it is a thing that can be quite unappreciated until you really break it down. Until you really break it down. And with uh, surrealism and absurdism, that they can easily be swept under that. There's so many... When we were at university, say, there were shows like The Regular Show or Adventure Time where there would just be people who even liked it would say, basically say, oh, it's these people and they get high and they just whack out a thing. It's like, no, there's far more steps to it. And so that quote that you mentioned, I'm getting angry thinking about the, the Toy Story on drugs or whatever. I, I, I haven't read any <laughs> reviews or any quotes or anything. I just watched the movie and then sat here. And so that's kind of annoying because it's like, it's not like that at all, really. It's just wacky. And so when I turned this on, this is first time viewing for myself as well. I had to spend the first 10 minutes getting past my uh, my uh, repressed memories of the shorts because I haven't watched them in yonks. So there was lots of moments and things and little bits. I was going, oh, that was in the show. And, oh, I remember this character now. And, oh, I don't remember if they were in the... So I had to, for the first five to 10 minutes, I had to wash that out of me to just appreciate what this was. But... Man, this was just such a brilliant, fun time. This is one I can't wait to revisit again. Put it on as in a movie night scenario mm. where you're having some food and just having a bowl. I had so many laugh out loud moments. My favorite character was Stephen, the next door neighbor. But out of our out of our three, uh, uh, how can you go past horse? Horse being the straight man, horse being the one who's trying to be normal, but it's also the fact that they're a horse makes it even more amusing when it's like, I can play the piano, I'm dignified, but then it's it's a horse, and so <laughs> he's just slapping the keys with his hooves, and it's just him and the other horse dancing is just a visual that... Uh, when presented on its own, you can go, oh, that's kind of amusing. But the fact that the the horse is the most uh, human character, I would say, just adds that extra oomph to the gag yeah, of it all. There's a lot of absurdity to that horse's that to horse's normalcy. Like he's the straight man of pretty much the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, him and the both horses really. Um, yeah, he 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 recognizes the ridiculous lengths that cowboy and Indian go to sometimes, but then there are also times where it's just normal to him, mm-hmm. and he goes along with it too. Like he's playing cards with them when they're falling. Um, there are some things that he doesn't bat an eyelid to. Yeah, it's it, he has a million hats. <laughs> he has an obsession with hats. <laughs> His. <laughs> He's got he's he's the romantic lead of the film <laughs> yeah. with the other horse who whenever whenever the music teacher horse spoke <laughs> it really wasn't like a cartoony voice it like oh this is this is just a a woman yeah 
Yeah. It's just, and I like how they had to make her a female horse with like the long colored hair. And um, <laughs> I always forget what they're called, but like you know, the, 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 the headscarf that she has on, just so you know it's a girl, just so you know it's a lady <laughs> horse. That I, I, I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, f- feminine traits, too, so you know. I, uh, I got a gut bust laugh out of just what the plot is. Just, just thinking about the plot makes me laugh a lot in just that way where when you're told like okay this is a feature film all right this is a feature film on these little shorts and you think of um uh, you know i bring it up again wallace and gromit wallace and gromit they're great shorts and the curse of the web where rabbits a, a really good movie but that's a film where some of that essence of Wallace and Gromit was lost because they had to put it in a three-act structure film setting where things had to be bigger, there had to be a romance, there had to be more of the, uh, dare I say, Hollywood-isms because it's a feature, it's a movie. You can't just have, you have to have it have a, a, a plot that sounds like a Wallace and Gromit movie but also could just be a normal movie plot. And so... The same applies to, like, being the ultimate disaster movie. The, the yeah. Mr. Bean movies, wonderful. Thank you for bringing those up while here even though you haven't seen the shorts i can imagine you can look at just the plot of this going oh this just feel this is this is something they would have done in the shorts but it's just made into 77 minutes like the fact that oh no we forgot this character's birthday (laughs) and then we do this stupid thing that makes everything worse and then Everything keeps layering on top of each other. Now there's people yeah, it, stealing our bricks. It becomes yeah, like at, at for like the first half of the film, I was thinking like, okay, this is like a comedy of errors thing where like one error leads to another, but it's like comedy of error to an absurd degree where some of the absurdity that comes up later isn't necessarily like following up on something that just happened. It's just a thing that happened. Like, oh, now we're up to the part where the scientists in the giant penguin uh, have captured them after they left hell or something, Um, and they have a gigantic machine that scoops up snow that they've collected, which they very meticulously target at people so so that they can cheer and laugh. And also, just because they're scientists, they will kick the shit out of you if you approach them. I have a whole thing about those scientists. That was a highlight of the movie. <laughs> I just really am enamored with films like this, where you can have them in different genres. It doesn't have to be comedy, but there's this air of, oh, you can make this into a movie. What's Why can't we? There's, that, just, that, there's just that air to this of, why can't we make a movie about these three little plasticine guys wandering around and they're called cowboy indian and horse and they order 50 million bricks that's the plot (laughs) the plot is they order 50 million bricks and things go wrong that's the story okay that's all you need well where do they get the bricks from well the brick website of course (laughs) with the little with the little brick man cartoon that's like clippy and it's the it's the most accessible website ever i i to 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 really just emphasize this point to call like to to really just underline this this is a movie where they begin with horse being the oh i'm going to meet the love of my life and i'm going to go to these music classes and maybe the the brick plot will intersect with that stuff 
but you know that's not going to be the case. Once he tries to go home with the neighbor's animals, and he's waiting because there's so much traffic from all of the vans delivering bricks. That moment there really tells you what movie you're in for. When you just have a gag of him waiting in that like T-bone intersection, and it's gone from like day to almost night, and he's just fallen asleep at the wheel because it's been going for so long. That there was one of those early moments in the movie where I just I wanted to I, I had a big grin on my face because this is this this is the type of movie where I wish there was more like this where it's it's here just to be fun mm-hmm. it's here just to be fun it doesn't have to worry and stress itself about following the rules of cinema and you have to have arcs and you have to have this act here and their low point and crap like that it's just this is really entertaining yeah there was a recurring element in this film where you know the horse is signed up to the music classes and throughout the film he keeps getting phone calls from the teacher saying like hey classes started where are Mm -hmm. you are you coming here and he comes up with an excuse like oh yes something's come up or oh no i'm on my way it's okay and there was a thought in the back of my mind that was like, okay, this is going for like, you know, a romantic drama kind of thing, but it really doesn't. It's it's just another like little silly gag thing where it's like, oh, while she's on the phone, like students are misbehaving, things like that. Yeah. And the horse coming up with, you know, excuses while he's in the middle of a crazy situation. And then eventually it culminates with him finally arriving only to destroy the entire music class with water and then being like kicked out of the music class by the the custodian or like the person the admin person who works there who at the beginning was his best friend and by the end <laughs> despises him or at least has animosity towards the destruction he has brought upon the school uh, one of the i think one of my biggest laughs was actually from one of these phone scenes where i think it was when they were in like hell or, or they weren't in hell they were in like the core of the mm-hmm. earth or something um, and the dr- bricks went through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's going down. He drops the phone into like the magma, and then that makes the phone on the the teacher's end catch on fire. <laughs> Everyone like runs out of the classroom, and and then this is the part that I really loved. The fireman runs into the room, turns to face a wall, and says like, "Where's the fire?" And someone has to tell him to turn around. <laughs> and if you have not seen this uh, again, please watch a town called Cold Panic. The fire. The way they animate fire in this movie is is hilarious to me. It's just it's got charm. That's that's the thing about the the animation. It's just charming. It is super charming. And so a lot of gags come out of just how quaint it is. And you go, yeah, of course that's what the fire would look like in this. Mm. Of course that's what it would. The, the only other option of what the fire could be is if they got uh if they if they got like red and yellow paper and scrunched it up and 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 did some stop motion animation to make it move like that's the only <laughs> that would be the other option for <laughs> this world and uh boy there's there's a there's a lot to go over so uh, i want to rewind to they've ordered all of these bricks this is this is a story and they get all of them and they're stacked and i really enjoyed the it goes on for a while the the party the the party at the house and you're wondering where are the bricks and every now and then one would fall from the chimney and one would fall outside and you're going okay where are the bricks and this is not like 
a, like this scene goes on for a little while. You have little things happening within it, and you almost become comfortable in the fact that maybe we won't find. Like I, I, well, I'm just enjoying the scene. I'm no longer thinking about the bricks, and then you get the revelation of what they've done with the bricks. And yeah, this is the t- this is uh, Baby's Day Out in the opposite. When Baby's Day Out, no one looks. Was it no one looks down? This is one when no one looks up. Because they've put all of the bricks on like the peak of the roof of their house, and the the physics and all of it just doesn't line up. But there it is, and I just, I again, big smile on my face, grinning from ear to ear when I saw that shot of what they've done with the bricks. Because even though I've only been with these characters for. 15, 20 minutes at that time, I was just saying to myself, that's what Indian and Cowboy would do. They would just put them on the roof. It's, again, going back to the whole thing about how this isn't, you know, a film where it's dumb because they just did whatever. All of their actions, like, do make sense to their characters. Like, when they're goofing off instead of working, even though they really want to get their house back, like, it's... Yeah, that's what those characters would do. They would just go back to their table tennis for a second. They're, they're agents of chaos. Mm-hmm. You get this at the end where everything's kind of serene and back to normal and they have a costume of a cow severed in half and they do it just to steal Steven's tractor from him because they wanted to ride it. Why? Because they're jerks. <laughs> <laughs> they just want to have fun. That's their characters. Now, um, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to go to? Um, let's see. Uh, I guess in, in terms of the vocal performances, this we we did a French film not too long ago, mm-hmm. um, for Christmas even. Um, and you know that was a live action film, so the 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 pacing of you know the the performances, the dialogue in that was very kind of familiar to us. This one has a very like. Very fast-paced, a lot of its dialogue, very clear, and it it kind of adds to the fact, like, oh, we're not watching humans here mm. speaking. This this is like vo- vo- voice acting performances, and they really lent a lot of character to these characters, like personality to these characters, and that is you know extra great because these are just toys. Like, there's this one donkey character that's like a student <laughs> in yeah, the class guy. who has this really like deep raspy voice. Um, and it, it really captured like, okay, this is a, this is a really kind of young character, but it has like a gra- gravelly voice. Gravelly voice. Um, when the teacher was on the phone at one point and he was like, you know, just going crazy on the drums, you had to stop and like tell him off. Like I've, I think I've had experiences like that where I'm covering a music class and I have to tell someone to get off the drums or whatever. It's just, yeah, it, it, it really... I love Stephen's wife. Her voice was great. Or like, yeah. you know, and uh to to your point, they have a way of making it universal. again, this has a universal appeal. You brought up Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean has a universal appeal where there's no dialogue really, so you can every language can enjoy Mr. Bean. And even though we don't speak the French language, I can tell you who's who just from how much they delineate the voices and how um, emphasized each of their voices are. Like with Stephen, where the guy's just yelling angrily all the time, it makes it very funny. But like with a lot of classic cartoons, you need to associate the image with a voice. I really do feel like... 
uh, way, you know, for a very long time, and I'm not saying that this isn't the case now, but uh, I feel like the the huge um, selling factor to a successful animated character was how recognizable the voice was, how much you could associate the voice even before the design of the character. I mean, that was Mel Blanc's career, right? That was what Mel Blanc did. He had to make all of these wonderful voices for all of these Looney Tunes. And so Foghorn, you know, like like uh, Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck and so on and so forth, or like, I love Foghorn Leghorn as a Looney Tune. He has a very recognized... Like, when I think of the character, I think of the voice more than anything else. It's true, yeah. And even though I don't understand what they're saying outside of the subtitles, I really liked how they had these distinct voices. Like, Cowboy and Indian have different voices to one another. And even just from hearing just the tone, I can tell which one's the dumber one out Mm. of the two of them. Like, Cowboy's the dumber one. Yes. And that's not just because of the subtitles. Because, you know, when I read the subtitles, they're both equally dumb. But just something about the inflection... I can just hear it, that he's slightly goofier. I didn't really think about this when I was watching the film, but just coming back to it now, the fact that this is, you know, you're you're, you're watching these toys which aren't really all that animated. When we think of, like, a 2D animated thing, it's much clearer on who is talking because, you know, we can see the lip animations. Mm-hmm. Characters we are get doing, close-ups, yeah, which we don't close in up, this movie very much. Not at all, no. Um Oh, there was there, there was like one close up later in the film. It's like, oh wow, they actually do have like mouth. Mm-hmm. And you get close ups of horse the most. Yeah. Um. But what I was saying was, you know, we don't have all these like little subtle animations going on, which indicate like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I'll, to go back on that a little bit, yeah, like some of the characters like might rotate a little mm-hmm. bit while they're talking, but for the most part, it is just we're hearing the voice, and the voices are so recognizable that we do know who's talking. It's it's really it's really magnificent. One of the phone gags I really liked about a uh, horse, just to talk about the phone gag for a second, was uh, somebody picked up the phone and they're like, "Oh yes, they're they're looking for a horse. Is there a horse in here?" And then horse comes in, and is like, "Yes, I'm a horse." <laughs> he walks <laughs> over and he's like, "Hello, this is horse." <laughs> just just that that was that was a great moment of absurdity. Um, one of the things is the 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 physicality, the fluidity or the lack thereof, one of the moments that really I could watch on a loop because it's both beautiful and it's also uh, silly is when Horse goes to the music school, to the school, and you have that guy, the admin guy, and he's in his office and he's got his little like dwelling that he's in with all the keys in there. Like he, you know, he's playing the piano in there and he's like whirling around in a circle like that so much that is just oh, that is just honey to me I, I i really got a kick and it made me want to see more of that character because he has to be he he plays a role of um in my spare time i'm having fun and being all crazy but when i'm out and i'm being like the admin the the, the principal or whatever the role is all business. Like, no, I will come with you, horse. I'm going to knock on the door. <laughs> I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to yell at these kids for leaving their waffle on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, m- mucking around the vending machine. <laughs> which had, like, real food in it, like, real-life food <laughs> in a big package, which is obviously bigger than them because they're toys. Yeah. That type of thing is is absolutely endearing to me. Now... What was a moment of comedic escalation 
that really uh, jived with you? Uh... Because once they introduced the thieves, I really sat up in my seat. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the thieves and all the things they go through, and I'm just trying to pick a single example, really. <laughs> so one of the big conflicts is, you know, the, the house gets destroyed by all the bricks and they have to rebuild it. And then after they make some progress, you know, it's nighttime, they go to bed and then they wake up in the morning and everything's gone. And it's discovered that the thieves, that there are thieves that are just stealing the walls. <laughs> and you get the sense it's like they don't really have much of a reason for doing it. They're like, oh, no one's watching. Let's take it. Let's go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, and... And a big part of the second act is them just following the trail, trying to find out who's stolen them, where they're going, what's up with this, and and they're very, very trickstery characters. They're like fish people. Yeah, they 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 live underwater, and you have the whole gag of like, oh, when they're underwater, you can barely tell it's underwater. <laughs> they they're a mixture of a few things. They kind of remind me of Martians. They kind of remind me of like frog people in terms of like you know the classic like a French frog person in the scuba gear and all of that. And they also remind me of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Like they just have all of that kind of mixed in there, but in these very simplistic designs, and they all look the same. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell if it was like they they have like a hairstyle that goes like sideways. And I couldn't tell if it was like a Dr. Robotnik mustache or something like that. I couldn't that. tell if that was those ears, their ears. Or, like they or have their webbed hair. ears. Yeah. I could, but that's the thing. They're simplistic. They evoke what you need to know. Like when I saw them, I said, are those aliens or are those fish people? I, w- I was going to use the word alien, but in the sense that like they're clearly different from all the other characters. You know, they they live underwater. They have their own little weird eccentricities, like waffles just keep getting made. Um, yeah, in, in terms of saying, like, the weird eccentricities, like, I, I actually thought at one point, um, the absurdity kind of reminded me of in South Park whenever they watch, like, Terrence and Philip, <laughs> where it's like, oh, it's it's a weird show from that weird country, and the weird country's Canada, but, like, I felt that kind of weirdness in this film a little bit. We, it's really funny. <laughs> we did a film a couple of weeks back called Tears of the Black Tiger, mm-hmm. which on the Roger Ebert website had a review from somebody who was not Roger Ebert. And they made a comment that we all laughed and scoffed at and said was embarrassing. I said, this was embarrassing. And then I read it and you said, what was the word you used, Ryan? Embarrassing? Correct. Which was they, they summed up this beautiful film, Tears of the Black Tiger, please watch it. As a, this could have been a YouTube video. In fact, it would have worked better as like an eight minute long YouTube video. Oh, right, right, yes. And I don't mean this as an insult, but like this really reminds me of the stuff that you saw, have seen on YouTube in its entire lifetime of animators of different ilks, different varieties, whether they're flash or stop motion, and they just put their stuff out there and there's just unbridled no filter just here's my thing here it is whether it is as silly as this or it's gross or whatever the case may be and there's a there's a joyous nature when you stumble across those again this is why this has a nostalgia for me where i grew up with these as little animated shorts i'll be in between shows but then eventually over time these would be little animated things i would find on YouTube, whether on my own or somebody would link me one or recommend me something. And I imagine you've had situations like that in your internet life. I don't know if you've been much of a watcher of just 
random like animated things on YouTube at all, but uh uh, just remind me of that. Here and there, like before YouTube, obviously you had websites like Newgrounds, Newgrounds and, yeah. and other websites where people are uploading like their Flash or .sfw or Swift files. Um, and there are a lot of silly things like that. Like even just like two weeks ago, my stepbrother was messaging me because he really wanted to watch something or a couple of things that we'd found on the internet like 20 years ago. Um, and I managed to find like this website that has like a really long archive of a lot of them. And I managed to find a couple of them and send him the link. And he told me like, yeah, they worked fine. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, the really 21st century, like internet animation, it has a charm to it. And uh, I just thought of how this is a type of animated project where I'm surprised it hasn't thrived more because of internet culture. I, I think when I look it up, there's some people who really like it, I'm not saying it doesn't have its audiences, but I think that this is something that could really just be a killer. And um, I really liked with the, the fish people, they didn't fall into the they become nicer as the film goes on. They're still jerks mm. the whole way through, even at the end when they've gotten nice, like they're all buddy-buddy with everyone and they have their house and the postman's going under there to deliver them mail, which, great progression. Mm. Uh, and yeah, in, and uh, Stephen's pond. Th- that's what I was going to say, yeah. They were in the pond They all were along. in the pond all along, which is a grander body of water than you expected. And I, I love those type of gags in movies. I, I really like that they're still kind of assholes and like even when everything's going on, like they've fallen through here and they've been flung over here and like they have this opportunity, they will still find the way to screw over our main characters. Like let's dump them in the ocean, fuck them, or just things uh like like that. And so I, I had a great amusement. Now, can we talk about the scientists? I was literally about to ask you, like, what did you want to say about them? I this was the funniest section section of the movie for me. <laughs> Everything with them was pure gold. Once we discovered what they were using this big robot for, this big robot penguin for, I I I, I said to myself, the movie cannot get better than this. I know that I like went over the whole deal earlier, like very matter of factly, but it it really is that great. It is. They are presented as these somewhat noble scientists. Like, they're, they're doing something for a purpose. Like, you associate that. Like, they're doing something yeah. out here. They're doing some kind of scientific test and some... Uh, it's some, very elaborate, and, and they don't talk at all. Not... No. Well, well they, they, like, mumble. They mumble to yeah. one another. And... Yeah, there's a lot of visual storytelling with them. And you're led to believe, oh, they're doing something with the snow and they're doing something with this penguin. It's going to be something interesting. And maybe our crew of characters are going to fuck it up for them. No, they're bullies. They, they, they have this thing just to launch snowballs at random people across the globe, it seems. And they're just pricks. They're just pricks <laughs> that, that are this nasty people and you go okay now we know that i can't wait for our characters to defeat these guys no because our characters are weak in comparison to these scientists these scientists are the strongest people in the movie yeah that's when it gets the most animated as well because you have now fight scenes (laughs) with these toys 
And they grab them and smack them from side to side, like boom, 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 boom. Just classic. And oh, man. I mean, talk me through about your experience with this this part of the movie. Oh, my God. There was so much going on. There was so much going on. I can... I don't even know that I could. I love how they animated the the snow, like when they fell into the vat of it and they're just rolling around, just like, what is this? What's going on? I I know that, I mean, the big reveal about what the machine was for, like, it was quite a slow build-up. It was very intricate. Like, our main characters are stuck in, you know, this, like, big pile of snow that they have in their facility and, like, a big scooper's coming down. And I thought, like, oh, they're going to be, like, pressed flat? Like, is this a hammer mm-hmm. coming down on them? No, it's like a scooper. Like an ice cream goes, scoop. Yeah, like, it goes down in the snow, rotates 180 degrees, pulls out a big snowball, and then it comes out and the scientists, like, you know take their time to examine it, mumble to each other, and then they, you know, analyze analyze it. And then they have, like, this reticle that's, like, looking at the town and someone in the town. And then they, like, start up a machine. Snowball gets launched by... The big penguin is basically, like, this giant robot penguin that's, like, (laughs) T-posed. And the snowball is hanging on, like, the end of the fin. And it, like, barely flips (laughs) its fin to, like, launch the snowball. Lands on someone. They come out from the top, like, looking like, oh, what's going on? And the Steins just start laughing. (laughs) And it's like, wow, is this this it? This is is what they were going for? And it's, yeah, it's just a great payoff. And what did you think of their super strength? (laughs) And then that just escalated it further, because what do we associate, you know, with scientists? They're the brains, not the brawn. But no, these are the brains and the brawn. (laughs) They're bullies. (laughs) They're bullies. You brought brought up a really great point, which was it takes its time. And... The, the the thing that is uh, great about A Town Called Panic is it has a very fast pace, but to maintain its pace, it does know when to slow down. And so when it slows down, just like with the sequence, it makes the gag, it makes the payoff even grander. Where When you break it down as a synopsis where we can go boom, 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 you can make it sound like, and this is an obvious next step of, crazy escalation and things are ramping up but it does take its time it does have the characters confused they've just been going through one thing after the next after the next and now that they've stopped here it actually feels really important that now that the film has stopped to bask in whatever this is and so it's really memorable outside of just how funny and amusing and quirky and different it is it's just just the pacing of it has been so so uh, of a piece now that we've deviated for a moment from that. That's why I also liked about the party scene where there was a certain pacing and atmosphere to that party scene in the beginning where the, we re- reveal where all the bricks are. Oh, another r- running gag throughout this is uh, Stephen gets arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what was the reason he got arrested? It was was it that they thought he was the one that stole all the bricks, or he did something with the bricks? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing I was confused about earlier with the policeman when I thought he had the magnifying glasses, he was examining something in the bricks, and he found like some incredibly circumstantial evidence <laughs> that like would have suggested that Stephen did it. And rather than like be innocent until proven guilty, it's like okay, well, I'll throw him in jail. He has to build a jail first. Yeah. <laughs> I love that he builds a jail, throws Stephen in, and there's a great little piece of audio work there where Stephen's always yelling. But once you throw him in the prison, he's yelling. You can still hear his yelling, but it's really muffled now because he's behind <laughs> something. 
Well, even when we have exterior shots of him in his house, he's yelling and we can hear it crystal clear. Like when the postman knocks at his door or when somebody knocks at his door, it's like, who's knocking at my door? You can still hear it. Like there's nothing in the way. But when he's thrown in the jail, he's now, now there's something in the way. And when they let him out, I really liked, you would expect him to be really pissed, but he's actually quite cordial about it. He's like, that's okay. Everyone makes mistakes. Like, he just keeps going about his day. Uh, uh, oh, uh, just in terms of the, the the benefits of animation, one of the, the gags I really actually liked early on was when they did build the barbecue set, when Horse pulls the car in and it hits the barbecue, but some of the car still keeps going and breaks apart. Brilliant. That's just one of those uh, brilliant... Yeah, it basically just took out the engine, but like not the wheels, so the wheels just kept turning yeah. it. <laughs> but after the scientists, they, they get launched and they get taken off course for a bit and they, they eventually find their way back and uh, they're trying to solve everything. We even get a eventual like leap forward in a year. And uh, yeah, I really liked um, the nature of the movie overall where... It's a series of shorts strung together. That's what it realistically is. But I really liked how the ending showed us that this is like a cartoon never ending where they have their new house and you quickly see how it breaks and has all of these holes in the places and patched up door like the old house. And you get this uh, and you go, oh, okay, this is just going to be a repeating cycle for these characters. Like it is always with cartoons. Like it's just always yeah. going to be. It always goes back to the status quo. The status yeah. quo is brought back. The chaos is back. There's going to be more adventures. You can do literally anything with these guys. There's There's no limits to... Uh, being able to bring this back in shorts or films or whatever the case may be because it just has that uh, that pure essence of animation where you can just make it endure like with Looney Tunes, like with Mickey Mouse and all of that where it's been around for ages and here we are still, still with them and they're still doing stuff. It's Scooby-Doo. That's one, too, where it's like, Scooby-Doo's still here, still doing stuff. Is that the name of the new show? Scooby-Doo, that's one, too? I wish. <laughs> it's no Velma. Uh, yeah, that one doesn't rhyme. That one, that one sounds got a... Should have been Velbel. Velma's a show that everyone on the internet agrees is bad, which is Seems one of the unique the case. cases of a show. But uh, is there any other bits of uh, A Town Called Panic you want to you wanna hit upon? Any specific gags or moments or characters? Um... Oh, one other thing. This is incredibly minor, but um, this is a film where we have like animal characters that are just matter of factly living with humans, but we also have like the farm animals. <laughs> yeah, it did. And usually, when you have a thing like this, you know, you've got like, oh, there's Goofy the dog and Pluto the dog. Like, what, what's the logic of this universe kind of thing? And in this one, it seems to be a very cohabitated kind of thing. Like the animals still have like humanistic. Uh, traits like they, they the way that they sleep in the barn they've got like the pillows they still like walk on all fours um they still clearly have their like animal roles roles like they even ask at one point like so are we going out or something 
Um, and like a lot of the students at the school are animals. Like I thought that was a really interesting thing that was going on. It was great. I, I liked at the end where they started launching the pigs as just weapons at Stephen's yeah, house. Yeah, that was a thing. It, the, 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 there was even a moment where one of the pigs rolled over and you saw on their belly like the, the where this was made on its belly. <laughs> and I, I really thought that was great. And you see like the seams of the plastic and... Ah, oh, so wonderful. I, I highly recommend A Town Called Panic. There's uh, there's the shorts, of course. They've done more since this movie. I think there's like an hour-long special. There's like a Christmas one. Uh, there's more to, to chomp into with these guys, and I hope uh, it's piqued your interest, Biotech, and I hope the listening people uh, give it a look as well. I, I think it's... It is just what I needed when I when I was looking through. I need an animated film. I don't always need my animated films to be these beautiful heady masterpieces like when we do the Japanese animations on this podcast. But sometimes I just need something like this. And I'm also very glad that we've managed to find a lot to talk about here outside of just this gag good. Because when I walked in, I was like, what? I don't know how long we're going to last with this. Because it is very, very simplistic. We've been doing this podcast almost eight years. And I think every other episode, I always come in like this. And we always come out like, oh, that actually wasn't too bad. (laughs) We we always uh, always have something to do. Dig into there. Yeah. Um, any final words? And uh, do you recommend? Uh, well, yes, I do definitely recommend. This is a great film. Definitely check it out. And really, it's not that long. It's like seventy-five minutes. Like it goes through very quickly. Very easy watch. Like it's very. Like you said earlier, you'd put it on on the movie night. Like this is an easy pick. Um, so I didn't read the Ebert review. I only saw like you know the reception section on Wikipedia and like it made a statement about what Ebert gave it and like one line from it. And it was a line where it's like, you're not wrong, but what a thing to say. Um, So he gave it three and a half out of four stars. And so clearly very high. He loved it, it seemed. Um, And he said, yeah, this is a great film. You know, it's it's an absurd comedy. You don't have to worry too much about the story. It's the type of thing that would be really easy to watch over multiple sessions. Yeah, I can see. You know what? I can see why because, like I said, it it, it, it is, is like a, a bunch series of, of sketches, vignettes, yeah. and shorts and stuff. But at the same time, is he watching Monty Python movies in well, sessions? Well, and also at the same time, this film's like less than feature length long, uh-huh. and also in the modern day, like obviously this is after his time, but it really kind of evokes like what people were saying about, of all things, the Irishman. <laughs> Oh, where right. it has like the opposite thing of being incredibly long. So it's uh, just really yeah. bizarre that we have this same sort of notion of how to watch it for something that's really short and something that's really long. What he's saying is this would have been a great movie to chop up and put on Vine. <laughs> and uh, that's what Roger Ebert was really getting at, but Vine didn't exist in 2009. So um, he was ahead of his time, Roger. Yeah, he was. So we are now at the point where we are going to hear what the recommendation for next episode is. What film are we talking about? From the listening people, I believe. From you, the listening people. Um, It's time for a choice from a parent, one of my parents. Ooh, the K-Mutiny 2. If only. Um, It is a film that Roger Ebert gives three and a half stars to, actually, so this is quite (laughs) serendipitous. Although, I think his site only says it's three, even though his actual review is three and a half. It's a Jack Nicholson film. 
Mm-hmm. Kathleen Turner, directed by John Huston. It is uh, Pritzi's Honor. It's a uh, gangster comedy film. Okay. And so, and it has William Hickey in it. Mm, there the, we go. The William Hickey from My Blue Heaven. I've referenced this film when we've also done William Hickey movies from time to time. So uh, Angelica Houston's in this as well. I was well. going to say, we did Mouse Hunt a bit more recently than My Blue Heaven. <laughs> yes, but we've done three William Hickey movies. We've done Major Pain, mm-hmm. Blue he- My Blue Heaven, and Mouse Hunt. Yep. This will be the fourth. Uh, so people, make sure to check out Pritzi's Honor. Uh, I'll make sure to put this in the description as well, where the 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 title and the year. I'm forgetting what year it's in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so make sure to give it a watch. We'll be talking about it next time. Like I said at the top, you can find us on social medias under Spit and Polish Presents. We post on there. You can interact with us on there. You can suggest movies to us, and/or you can just email us over at spitandpolished at gmail.com. That is all we have for you this time. Thank you so much for tuning in and hearing us two just just wobble and chat and go over stronger thungers and uh, things of that variety. Bartek, a pleasure as usual. And uh, I hope you remember to be kind to each other. It's actually Cal Bartek. Ah. Indy Ryan. Indie? If we had a guess, we'd do like horse. a horse pun with them. Yeah, our friend Will could have been horse. He's the straight man of our dynamic. But William doesn't have any of the letters from horse. Well, Will doesn't. Does William? No. Man. A? No. No horse. Jeez, Will. What, what's wrong with you? No letters from horse? <laughs> <laughs>